Welcome to the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast, where successful dental pros and anyone who values the power of a smile can get an edge in the dynamic worlds of healthcare and business. Hosts Chuck Cohen and Rick Cohen speak with top influencers in the world of dentistry and explore essential tools, trends worth your time, and solutions that help you practice smarter. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Benco's Driving Dentistry Forward podcast. Today, we are truly honored and flattered to have with us Dr. Rella Christensen of Provo, Utah, uh, an award winner for this year's Lucy Hobbs Project Awards. She is truly a legend, and we're going to spend some time talking with her today about her career, how she got where she is, what she's learned along the way, and any wisdom she cares to share with us. So with that, I say, Welcome, Rella. Thank you very much for being here with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. It's, believe me, it's all my pleasure. Well, thank you. And first of all, congratulations on the award. Well-deserving. Every year, we only honor a handful of women in dentistry. And uh, it, was, it was obvious and a no-brainer for us to ask you to be part of this program and for, for us to honor you with this award. Uh, we're only sorry that in the in the coronavirus times that we're in, we can't do a real in-person meeting and an award ceremony with an award you stay next to when you get and take your picture taken. So this year we're doing the next best thing, which is a Zoom call. So welcome and thank you. Um, all right, so Rella, let's just start um, pretty simple and say um, you've had a lengthy career in dentistry and as a microbiologist, many people probably don't know that you're not technically a dentist, you're a microbiologist. Can you talk to us a little bit about where you grew up, how your career progressed, and how you got to where you are today. Yes, I'd like to. Uh, I was born and reared in, in Southern California. I was born in Pasadena. Um, I was introduced to dentistry because my father and his brother lived next door to each other. And uh, my brother and I kind of ran interchangeably between the two houses. Uh, whoever wasn't angry with us that day, why we'd, we'd go to that house. And um, my uncle was a dentist. And he graduated from USC uh, back in the old days and, and uh, was very technically capable. Um, my father was a, a principal of high school, my mother a librarian. So uh, I lived in a family uh, where education was highly prized. And uh, uh, my uncle did just about everything he could to, to, to convince me that I should be a dental hygienist. And uh, so I, uh, I, went, uh, I went to USC and they tried to save money, I believe, by by having the dental hygiene students uh, uh, sit in the first two rows for all the basic science classes. And so we, we took the same classes uh, uh, for almost everything except pharmacology and a few others. Um, so I had a great basic science background and a great background as a clinician and actually practiced uh, as a dental hygienist and loved it for uh, 20 years. Uh, before I was asked to um, uh, to start the dental hygiene program at the University of Colorado. And I really was not an educator, had no plans to, to be such, but uh, the program uh, was legislated just 18 days before the students were would have to start. Okay. 
And uh, not only that, a part of the legislation said that if the program could not start on time, uh, the money would be rescinded. And uh, so that's an incentive. <laughs> there was a uh, a definite uh, scramble, and uh, and I just happened to be standing in the wrong place at the right <laughs> time, and uh, became part of that uh, uh, in educating uh, uh, dental hygienists. In back in those days, uh, that we called them expanded function dental hygienists. Mm -hmm. uh, they were educated to place uh, resin based composite and um, uh, silver amalgam. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as uh, do occlusal tracings, uh, as well as radiography and some of the uh, other traditional uh, diagnostic uh, gathering that uh, dental hygienists did. And uh, so that this is how I got my start. Of course, uh, um, when I was at USC, uh, I met Gordon. Uh -huh. uh, Gordon was uh, a Utah boy. He had traveled to Southern California from Utah. What a culture shock. Uh -huh. and, uh, you might say. <laughs> little tiny town, Logan, Utah was a little tiny town at that time. It's grown a bit now, but uh, um, we met there and, uh, and fell in love and got married. And uh, we both graduated uh, together on the same day. He in dentistry, me in dental hygiene. And, um, we became a team, uh, and I learned uh, I learned dentistry from Gordon. Uh, and That's learned inspiring. All uh, basically, worked right right beside him. Uh, did laboratory technician work, uh, uh, as well as uh, a number of other uh, uh, technical parts of uh, of dentistry uh, with Gordon, and went to meetings and and just kind of followed him around and learned a lot of things. He's an excellent teacher. We all would agree with that. He's great. I was not aware that you were high. I'm sorry. I was not aware you were hygienist before you were you are in your current career. So that was news to me. That's interesting. Well, I actually went back to school um, when I was 42. Um, what had happened was that we uh, we saw the need for something new in dentistry. It was actually Gordon's idea. He felt that. Uh, um, that dental clinicians should be evaluating the worth of the products that they used. Mm -hmm. at, at that time, all of uh, the research was being done uh, in the academic arena, which was great, uh, beautifully controlled uh, uh, work. But uh, we could see that once things left the academic arena, uh, a lot of things happened uh, to these uh, to these products, and uh, um, so in 1976, in the fall, we set up what what was then called Clinical Research Associates or CRA, and um, began the work uh, uh, began to to publish the information that we were gathering in January of 1977. Mm -hmm. Uh, the idea was a newsletter, a true newsletter uh, that that would go to dentists to bring them up to date on the very latest products that came out. And what we decided to do was to gather products worldwide uh, that were similar to one another, had a similar function, and um, to study them and to compare them and to rank them. And then to disseminate this information uh, to clinicians all over the world. 
the the institute was set up as a nonprofit, and and in the charter, uh, it designated that money could not be received from industry, or from mm-hmm. government, uh, mm-hmm. or from from any other outside source uh, that had a connection with dentistry. Um, for example, uh, even today. Uh, somebody, uh, a dentist might have a, a parent that, that passes away and sometimes they'll make a donation in the name of that parent. But this is a person that's a clinician and has no link to products or to dentistry. And so this uh, this charter was set up to to make the, uh, uh, the foundation uh, objective. Nice. Independent objective, what, very important. That's what took me back to do, to school. Gotcha. I, I felt like uh, like I needed uh, to to um, to broaden out, and uh, so I um, uh, I received a, a PhD in physiology mm-hmm. uh, with a strong emphasis on microbiology, mm-hmm. and uh, the reason for this combination was because. Uh, uh, it was designed to study the oral cavity mm-hmm. and diseases of the oral cavity, which are mm-hmm. often um, they are linked to the to the normal flora. Right. And, and yep. so we, we needed to understand the chemistry uh, and the physiology uh, of the normal environment uh, to try to see what went wrong and mm-hmm. and what resulted when it went wrong with the ultimate goal of trying to turn it around and make it right. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started CRA, uh, which is now almost 50 years old. Amazing. And in, in disseminating this information, you know, it was meant to be just, just a little newsletter among clinicians, but it, it turned out that, uh, that there was actually a, a, a desire, uh, an eagerness uh, uh, to know uh, how to really rank different products and techniques and treatments and, and be able to, to give the full picture uh, where you listed both the disadvantages as well as the advantages and, and the contraindications as well as the indications uh, and, I guess I would have to say that complete information is difficult to find because we live in a fast-moving world and it's filled with partial information and lots of marketing. (laughs) Marketing is definitely where, where, where some people's heads are. That's correct. And, and to get all the facts is, is very difficult. And, and, you know, when you're, when you're going to in some way alter a person's body, Charles, uh, to me, that that's a that's a huge responsibility. Yeah, indeed. And, and I know that a lot of people don't think of uh, perhaps dental treatments as altering a person's body. But if you really think about it, uh, most of the treatments uh, are, are quite permanent. They, they stick with the oral cavity and can have um, repercussions in, in the temporomandibular joint, uh, um, dental caries. Uh, who knows? Uh, this is what we're studying today is the microbes in the actual dental caries lesion and to see if they uh, invade the bloodstream and, and uh, actually affect the body negatively uh, in general. Uh, so there are a lot of unanswered questions uh, uh, in this area. And interestingly enough, believe it or not, 
it's almost all microbiology, dental caries, oh. periodontal disease, um, uh, oral surgery has a lot of microbiology in it, certainly dental implants, um, probably one of the few areas that doesn't have microbiology might be occlusion, uh, but dentistry is, is microbiology. Very, very much so. So just go back. So go back a second. So it's been 50 years since you and Gordon really started, you know, clinical research or just about, UCR, about right? the exact years. date there, 1975. So, <laughs> question, so question, as you started it, I often think of CRA as a consumer reports oriented. Did you have that in mind when you started that you wanted to make sure sort of like an objective view of different products? Was that was that something that you actually thought of or did that come later? You know, it did come later. Uh, we were more interested. It actually started with seven study clubs. Mm -hmm. uh, Gordon was mentoring these study clubs. And in those days, Dennis would actually bring a patient into a central location. It might be one of the larger offices or it might be a dental school setting. And they would actually treat a patient in an evening and then critique each other's treatment and talk about what had been done. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, this is really this was really the orientation. And I would have to say the start was uh, probably dental materials. Right. Uh, more than anything else, and we branched out into these other areas uh, as we soon learned that there were questions about equipment, questions oh, yeah. about treatments in, in areas far beyond uh, dental materials and had to learn these areas. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things you talked about, and I, I can't say it, I, I want to emphasize it because I just think it's so important, is we are all very grateful for the basic research that happens, whether it's the uh, the folks in Washington, D.C., at uh, in, in the federal government, or whether it's the manufacturers or the schools. But what you and your team are doing at CRA is hugely important, and your focus always has been on what happens actually in the doctor's office, which is slightly different, I think, than a lot of other research that's going on, right? So what you're doing is different. It's how does it actually work in the practitioner's hands and in the patient's mouths? Uh, that, that is true. Uh, if I were to characterize it in today's language, I would say that we perform outcome studies. Mm -hmm. We purposely build in variables that, that, Normally, in, in science, we're taught to limit the variables uh, so that we can look at just a specific question. In our work, we, we invite the, bari the variables and build them in. For instance, we, we look for dentists that have been out of school varying numbers of years, uh, various backgrounds. Um, we, we look at, at purposely have those that have different levels of, of innate talent. Uh, we want to know what happens in the hands of, of the A-plus uh, uh, technically competent person and what happens in the, in the hands of, of a, a person where, where they struggle uh, a bit more. It is different in that way, and, and we monitor the outcomes over time. Um, and it's very interesting to, to see how things uh um, well, their durability over time, because everything kind of degrades over time, if you will. Yes. You and I, we get we get wrinkles and gray hairs. Yeah. 
and and dental materials crack and chip and yeah. and uh, uh, tend to have uh, various uh, degradation uh, profit uh, problems and, yeah. and microbes. Uh, well, they mutate and they find new niches and they find little cracks and they get in there and they cause problems. Can do. Absolutely. Can do yes. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about what it's what it was like. Um, the thought I have is that you were one of the few women not to be a dental hygienist. That was probably not unusual at the time, but certainly as you went back to get your second degree, your PhD, it was a bit unusual for a woman to to take on a you know such a traditional science role. What was that like, and what were some of the barriers that you had to overcome along the way? Because I. I had always followed Gordon around. I never really um, uh, outwardly experienced some of the barriers that a lot of women experience in dentistry. Um, In basic science, uh, I was on my own. And um, um, I went to Brigham Young University uh, for a couple of reasons. The main reason was that it was close to my lab and I could get there quickly. Um, the second main reason was I was already working um, in uh, in the microbiology labs and in the scanning electron microscopy labs there. And uh, so I had access to, to the school uh, there. I also had access uh, at University of Utah in Salt Lake uh, to the equipment and, and some of the uh, uh, professors that we worked with as consultants. Uh, this, Charles, is how we've we've made ourselves very broad. If we don't know something, we hire a consultant and we go, but we actually do the work ourselves with our own hands, but we've got them there uh, as consultants and showing us how and critiquing our work. Um, but as I started uh, this when I was uh, just in my early 40s, uh, um, I really didn't know the people uh, in the general science uh, area um, where I was doing. I was working in the area where I would get a PhD in physiology. And um, uh, I was not only the only woman, I was the only old woman. Ah, interesting. <laughs> you I don't use the word say, old. I could have been the mother to any of uh, my colleagues. <laughs> that's interesting. That must have been an interesting experience. It, it was. It, it definitely was. Uh, you know, they had their study groups and, and their friends. And, and I was just a bit on the outside of all of that, although these students were, uh, were very uh, welcoming and, and kind. Um, um, I definitely needed to learn from them because I hadn't been in school for 20 years when I went back. And a lot had happened in that 20 years, because if you look back in history, uh, Watson and Crick defined DNA in about 1956 or so, Mm -hmm. and it hadn't quite made the the textbooks, and I definitely didn't learn it in my dental hygiene or any of the work that was going on at USC. Uh, but basically, by the time I went back to uh, graduate school, the math was new, all of the science was new, uh, molecular biology was just being born. Uh, and today, of course, molecular biology is 
everything in basic science. Now, that's a point of view. That's my point of view, but that's... No, I think that's a very good point of view. Certainly in dental micro basic science and dental well, basic really science, all, I think there's all a lot the too. way across. Yeah, really anything biological, let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. And um, uh, so uh, if there were barriers. There definitely were, but they were based... Uh, uh, um, they were based on, on gender and on age, uh, but I found um, that just by keeping my nose down and my mouth shut and doing the work, uh, that that the work uh, was allowed to stand on its, on its own, and I'll give BYU credit for that. Uh, uh, times have changed. Uh, today, uh, I find the universities actually recruit um, not only women, but uh, should I call them mature women? <laughs> ah, good call. That's a very politically correct thing to say. I like it. Right. Absolutely. No, I think that's really cool. Well, so many people out there are finding that they can do things, they can reach their full potential. Sometimes it takes them a while to figure out what their full potential is and what they're passionate about, whether they're mature or women or people of color. I mean, getting everyone to really figure out what they want to be good at and giving them the opportunity to do so. I think your story is really inspirational about that. I think it, I suspect that if we were doing this interview, not long after you graduated uh, hygiene school, and I said to you, would you ever have any interest in being a PhD in microbiology or something? You might've said at that point, boy, I'm not sure I could do that. But now look at you all these years later, you know, vistas have opened up and you've gone back, you went back and you, and you uh, got training in a whole new area, which probably when you were in hygiene school, wasn't even on your radar screen. Uh, You're actually absolutely right. I took one, one semester course in microbiology in my undergraduate work at USC. And uh, as you say, I had no intention of, uh, of pursuing that area. I would say, Charles, that uh, probably contra to a lot of young women today. I really didn't map my career out. In in my age, um, women were homemakers, and and even to uh, graduate with a bachelor's degree in dental hygiene, uh, I was the only one um, in the um, uh, high school group that were my close friends that that got a bachelor's degree in anything. Um, wow. that's amazing, and. And it's only one generation, you know, one or two generations. Look at the changes that's got that have gone on. That's amazing. There are probably more generations than you're giving well, it credit. All right, for. we'll see. We all look good on this call, so we're not going to go. There. But in a sh- relatively short amount of time, that's a huge change. That's a really huge change, and that's really that's kind of exciting. How many how many people? What's the scope? Could you talk a little bit about the scope of the lab that you're in charge of? How many people do you have in the lab? What's the scope of it? Because I think people will be very surprised and impressed at the actual science that you've got going on at the lab in Utah. Well, you know, uh, our lab does in vivo and in vitro. In other words, we we do a clinical um, outcome testing as well as uh, laboratory testing have from the very beginning put these together. Um, we work with anything that dentistry uses. Uh, if we don't have the expertise, as I've stated before, we go out and find it and um uh, hire per- people as consultants, and we learn. Um, and once uh, once you've been through these uh, these large evaluations, uh, by the end, uh, you know quite a bit. Uh, even though you may have been pretty basic when you started, so we look at equipment. 
Uh, we look at various treatments uh, uh, and techniques, as well as any kind of a product uh, that is used by dentists. It could be a metal, it could be a polymer, uh, it could be uh, an instrument, um, um, it could be a large piece of equipment. Right now, we're evaluating a number of different comb beam uh, um, equipment. Uh, um, we have been very, very um, involved this past year with trying to figure out how to uh, keep the air uh, pure uh, in a dental operatory. Um, the problem is not so much uh, uh, after uh uh, equipment is used, but it's during the actual use of powered instruments, that actual period of use. Uh, if you're, let's say, cutting a crown preparation, you may cut it for anywhere from five to 10 or more minutes, maybe 15, maybe more. It's during that actual cutting that uh, that things uh, that things get um, pretty contaminated during that time. Uh, once you stop the actual cutting and begin to do the restorative procedure, things settle quite quickly and it's not nearly as, as critical. So, uh, but we look, we start from scratch and, and we do have um, about uh, 50 on-site people. Wow. Uh, and, and they, they cover various uh, disciplines uh, in material science and in physics and, and, um, Microbiology is my favorite area, uh, but but there are other uh, very competent scientists. We we have a beautiful scanning electron microscope that my husband bought me for our fiftieth wedding anniversary. <laughs> That's very romantic. Nothing says romance like an electromagnetic scanning microscope. I got to tell you, I'm impressed. That Gordon, he knows how to get to a woman's heart. Yeah. And uh, uh, more recently. Um, I'm more recently being about the past uh, 15 years or so, uh, uh, we've done some very interesting work. Uh, we, we asked the question, what, what lives in a dental caries lesion? Uh, and we've, uh, we've tried to characterize um, which genus and species live in the actual lesion uh, and, and where in the lesion we've developed a technique so that we can map the lesion and tell you who lives where and how many of those organisms are there as you proceed from the surface down towards the pulp. Wow. And what we're trying Amazing. to do there is we're trying to figure out if we can develop materials, uh, restorative materials uh, that that will allow you to have all your bad habits and still control dental caries. And I'm yeah. talking, talking about what I call therapeutic materials, materials that might be antimicrobial or they may control the drop in pH when you have a um, fermentable carbohydrate in a food or a drink. Uh, um, Saliva flow is is a difficult area to to control, and uh, uh, today so many people uh, are involved with with uh, marijuana and don't understand that it it impedes saliva flow, yeah. and because they've impeded the saliva flow, they're already at risk for caries, and because their mouth feels uncomfortable, they'll often. Um, 
drink a lot of soda in a day, not not one or two cans, but many cans of uh, of um, um, highly Awful. sugared soda Awful. has a low pH. In other words, it's very acid as well as being high sugar. And so we're trying to figure out how we can control this oral environment. I guess mainly because I personally feel so unsuccessful in in talking people out of uh, uh, out of bad habits. habits. <laughs> Shall you say bad habits? Well, they're they're unhealthy habits. Unhealthy you habits. Know, I mean, okay, that is a little too judgmental, but unhealthy we can do that. <laughs> all of us can have a treat now and then, but when treats are your entire diet, or 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 the, if you just are always too tired to to practice any kind of hygiene, uh, and then go to bed night after night uh, with the last Thanksgiving's dinner still on your teeth. Uh, Yes. And then, of course, there there are a whole group of both prescription and non-prescription chemicals um, that that cause uh, um, the saliva flow to be diminished. And, And those three factors, the high fermentable carbohydrates, the lack of hygiene, in other words, leaving the biofilm in place for for many, many days, uh, and the the diminishment of, of saliva through various habits. Uh, though just those three factors are enough to put you at very high risk uh, uh, for dental caries. It, in, a, in a developed country like the U.S., uh, honestly, I believe dental caries is a preventable disease, and I think that many right. make that same statement. I agree. I agree. The truth of the matter is, Charles, is that almost everybody's going to experience it at some point or another. True. And I have too. I'm not going to ask you about you, but I have dental caries. A little bit. We all had a little bit, but a little bit is okay. It's extensive dental caries. Because it's not treated, that gets very frustrating, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's I, the thing you say. I don't even like to see a little bit of, of something that's not necessary. Uh, it, I, I honestly feel that 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 there, there have to be therapeutic ways that we can prevent this. And, and we're looking into that. Uh, one of the very encouraging uh, things to me is for... Um, for the first time, we're going to be seeing a resin-based composite that's uh, claiming to be antimicrobial. Oh, great. And we, we of course, have already seen uh, the entry into the market uh, several years ago uh, of chemical treatment of caries. Oops. I'm talking about silver diamine fluoride. Uh, there, there I, I believe there are better antimicrobials than that particular one, but it is the first commercial product that has come all the way through the process. And, and um, so I, I see uh, things coming forward on the horizon, uh, a, um, uh, an acceptance of the fact that, that preventive measures um, can be used as actual treatments and I, I hope that they'll be more successful than trying to get people to permanently change habits. And that that's what entails a permanent change of habits. Yeah, that's exciting. Well, good for you. Um, one last question, just because I want to go back to your career. Can you identify for us one of the mentors who was very powerful in shaping, helping you shape your career? 
not necessarily who it was, although certainly feel free to share, but more along the lines of how did having a mentor or a mentor figure really change your career? I think that's, that's an, that's a, it's a superpower that people sometimes don't value enough, in my opinion. The immediate person that comes to my mind is my husband, Gordon. He's um, a good one. He's a real good one. Being with him all the time and being chairside, I've worked as his hygienist, as, as his dental assistant, as his laboratory technician, not all at the same time, but for at various times and gone with him to uh, study clubs um, uh, and, and ha- through him have met um, some of the real pioneers and leaders internationally uh, in dentistry and had the opportunity to uh, to see their work and, and to learn uh, from them and to be received by them, uh, which would be very difficult had had I just been on my on my own because I really had no uh, real influence. My uncle was a dentist, but he was not influential in in the profession in general. He was influential in his circle of patients. Um, so uh, there, there wouldn't be anyone of the magnitude of, of Gordon, uh, but a number of other people in the industry people that I've met uh, uh, over the years have, uh, they too have been giants uh, um, in, in uh, trying to trying to commercialize products and and market them honestly and and compete uh, it's been very interesting to to see the competition and how uh, there's always going to be competition and it's good but very good to be able to to be able to hold to your ethics and and compete and and run in that race nose to nose uh uh, all of those people have been mentors. Uh, um, I totally agree with you. Uh, without a mentor, um, you you can't you can't learn nearly as much or as as quickly. You're you're definitely limited if you are just on your own. And let me say, I'm a nerd. Um, I, I wouldn't be one to, to jump up and speak up and speak out. Uh, I like to listen and I like to watch and, and, and I like to learn. Uh, uh, so the, I wouldn't have made it without the mentors. Wow. Well, um, as we close, I want to say, cause I do, I'm blessed to know both you and your husband. I am very certain that if I asked Gordon, the same question I asked you, he would say one of my main mentors is my wife Rella, and that's oh, really yeah, what it's that's all nice, about. Probably um, not. <laughs> oh no, I think he definitely would. And that really is one of the things that I think we all, everyone in dentistry, and I'll just speak for most of us who have been watching you for many years and appreciating what you've been doing, has been watching you as partners really drive dentistry forward, move dentistry forward together in a way that's been very, very complimentary, and it's been really inspiring to watch. So thank you, and thank you for everything you do for our profession because. You and Gordon and your team have really done tremendous work over the past number of decades to really try to get the dental materials, the the practice of dentistry to be better for our patients every day. So thank you very much for doing that. And really, that's why we were all we were all, you know, it was not a hard decision 
on awarding you this, you know, presenting you with this award because you and your husband, but you especially have been tremendously helpful for our profession. And I thank you for that. Well, thank you. That's very kind, Charles. It's well-deserved. So with that, Rella, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for sharing your thoughts on mentorship on the profession of microbiology. And with that, I will say, join us please next time for the next edition of our Driving Dentistry Forward podcast. Congratulations again, Rella, for your award and for everything. And thank you for everything you do for our profession. Thank you. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for listening in. Don't want to miss an episode of the Driving Dentistry Forward podcast? Subscribe today on your favorite podcast app.